Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Julian, you're here with Javina Graham, myself, and Jeremy Ambrose. So, Bishop, let's get right into it. I mean, a lot of conversations about religion and faith these days, especially among young people, actually even in, in, in our parents' generation, we often hear people say, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm definitely spiritual. Is this enough? Is this okay? A lot of people... Um these days use that term to say I'm, I'm not in, I'm not involved with any particular uh, church or I'm not uh, in any way um, living according to the tenets or teachings of a particular body um, yeah. and so a lot of the attitude I think is to say I'm happy to be vaguely spiritual and uh, and they, they feel that's enough now it's, it's good that they are spiritual but I, I suppose um, the question I probably want to ask next well what does that actually mean for you uh, does it just mean well I just have this sense there must be something else out there but apart from that I just go ahead with my life uh, I think it'd be a bit of a cop-out to be honest <laughs> okay oh well Bishop at the same in the same um, the same sort of way some say that the issue isn't so much atheism, and though there seems to be a rise of interest in atheism, but rather they say that the issue is Gnosticism. So can you explain what exactly this is? I think what's happened today is that, uh, as we said before, a lot, of, a lot of people have decided that they don't want to be directly linked to a church and to accept and, and live under the guidance of that church, to participate in the activities of that church. But they don't want to abandon um, the idea of, of God in their life completely. And so they don't so much see themselves as atheists or even agnostics. They believe there's something there, um, even though there is a bit of a rise in this, what they call this new atheism today. But uh, you do meet a lot of people who wouldn't want to move as far as atheism but at the same time they they have moved away from if you like what they often call institutional religion and they but they feel that they've got some inner spiritual dimension to their lives but again i suppose it's a question of um, what precisely is that one of the um, interesting heresies that were around in the very early stages of Christianity in the first couple of centuries what's what what has come to be called Gnosticism now Gnosticism really is, is a vague sense that there is a spiritual plane there is a spiritual reality out there and that um, that they want to engage with that often Gnosticism has this idea that I'm going to receive some enlightenment or some particular knowledge or I have this uh, sense of spiritual things, some, some particular spiritual understanding that has, has come to me and that, um, that, that this is sufficient for me. Now, I think this really is what New Age is about. 
New Age is basically Gnosticism. What we see happening is that as people move away from um, traditional religion and and what would be the, the natural uh, constraints associated with religion, like if you're a Catholic, that means you go to Mass on Sundays, you, you uh, believe in what's in the creed and you follow the teachings of the church and all sorts of matters. Um, people, when they move away from that, want to move in this sort of more vague, nebulous kind of world of some sort of spiritual dimension to life and, and some sort of, of ideal to life that's beyond the material or beyond they don't just reject God completely. But it does mean that they often delve into this, delve into that, explore this, explore that. And I think one of the things that they're doing, one of the problems with Gnosticism is it tends to, to live in at another plane, but that doesn't really relate to the realities of normal life. I think one of the realities of religion is that it's incarnational. It takes in the whole of our life. It, it takes in, in the fact that as human beings, we, we do need to, we need to be in community. So, so Gnosticism will tend to just have us out there in some kind of personal spiritual realm. Um, Christianity, by its very nature, is grounded thoroughly in the human condition. And I think there is a truth here about the nature of being human. And that's why in the Catholic Church we have sacraments. Sacraments are moments, spiritual moments, moments where God acts in our lives, but we, we give expression to it in, in practical forms. We have, we have ceremonies, we have colour, we have particular religious symbols. We use bread, wine, water, oil, and so forth. This, this really, I think, more truly reflects the nature of who we are as human beings. We need to have a incarnational dimension to our lives. And I do think, as I said before, that, that to just to say I'm spiritual, not religious, I think is a little, is a little bit of a cop-out. All right. Well, I think a lot of people who are raised Catholic or are baptised Catholic at least um, end up looking to other more Eastern belief systems for, for a sense of spirituality and are really surprised when we tell them, actually, your own faith is very deeply spiritual because they've never been exposed to it. How, what can we tell them about the spiritual nature of Catholicism and where can they find out more? Where's a good source to find out? I, I do think that uh, the reason why some people have turned away from the church and, and don't like the notion of being religious is that in one sense their own experience of, the, of their faith has been at a fairly superficial human level. Mm. I belong to an organisation called the Catholic Church and uh, maybe even though they've participated in various things, they haven't really depthed the reality of being truly being Catholic, they haven't really come in touch with the inner uh, spiritual dimension to the faith. And sometimes even sacraments. You know, you even hear, sadly, hear sometimes children say, I'm going out to receive the bread. You know, they, they, mm. they haven't made the link between the external sign and the inner reality that it represents. And, and so uh, a lot of people reject, uh, move away from the faith more because they just have experienced it or understood it at that physical 
level and not really discovered its inner depth. I, I think what's vital for us in the church is, is to, to help people enter more deeply into the, the true nature of our faith, which is, which is a living relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And, and to realize that, that, that the church has been endowed with the gift of the Holy Spirit and that sacramental moments are true moments of the grace of God working in our lives. And I, th I think until people discover this inner truth of the nature of our Catholic faith, then I can see how they will say, I, I can't see a value in belonging to an organisation. Um, so it's, a, it's a, a challenge for us to, to help people enter more deeply in, into faith. This is the way that we can help overcome this, this notion that I, I, I'm not religious, I don't belong to the organisation, religious organisation, but I just want to be spiritual. So I guess um, if people discover their true heritage, this Catholic spirituality, then they would want to be religious then because they'd understand how it works completely together. Yeah, I, I think so. I, and um, I think when young people in particular rediscover their faith, they, they discover that there's, there is a richness and depth there at the spiritual level, at the cultural level, at all sorts of levels, it actually is something which, which animates their, their lives. And I, I, think, um, I think we do need to, to help people come into that deeper level of discovering the true nature of the Catholic faith. I think lots of, lots of people are surprised and will be surprised to know that Benedict XVI, I guess, I guess as Pope, all we see of him, all we see in the media is that he's doing things and going places. But he's, he's a deeply spiritual man, isn't he? He is. He is. And he has a deep sense of, of the faith. And he wants, he very much wants to, to present the faith. And, and you know, he, he, said, he said when he went to Germany, his own home country, he said, without God, there's no future. You know, he straight away said to, to the German people, don't leave God out of your lives because this, this will actually be the source of the future of, of your life as a, as a nation. And this is the message that we want to give, that, that faith in God and coming into a, a relationship with God grounded within uh, the, the religious traditions of the Catholic Church will actually be a means that, that nurtures and nourishes the quality of your own life and the, and the quality of society. Mm. You know, just when we come to our little point of um, some interesting bits about our Catholic faith, mm -hmm. as you know, we... Um, we, we talk about saints in the church. We talk about confessors, those who confess the faith. We talk about martyrs, those who died for the faith. We talk about doctors of the church. They're the ones who, who the church recognises as, as great teachers uh, in, the, in the church. And we also hear the fathers of the church. So I thought I'd just uh, explain a little bit about who the fathers of the church are. Just okay. looking at these different categories, if you like, of people that we recognise in our tradition. Um, the church has now tra traditionally acknowledged 28 people as fathers of the church. They were really the leaders, uh, and particularly in teaching and in uh, presenting the Catholic faith from the very beginning. So the fathers of the church were 
our first fathers, if you like. They're the, they're the ones, the figures who emerged in the early centuries who were able to uh, articulate the faith, uh, develop it, to present. Sometimes they're apologists, putting up arguments for, for why Catholics believe what they believe, or they just provide a great volume of, uh, of teaching and instruction, which is quite inspirational. And the fathers of the church just have, a, I find, a wonderful um, vitality to faith. In, in a lot of what they, they write about. So as I said, there's 28. I'm not going to list them all uh, for you this afternoon. But, no. uh, but just to mention um, some of the, some, I'm sure you'll, you'll know some of them. You might, you might have heard of the Bishop Ignatius of Antioch. He wrote a sort of marvellous uh, reflections about Polycarp, who came from Smyrna, which is in modern-day Turkey. Um, you pick up, talk about people like St. Cyprian uh, of Carthage, that's in North Africa, um, Justin Martyr, he was one of the first to write about liturgy. So, if you like, our second Eucharistic prayer really comes from the writings of uh, St. Justin Martyr. Irenaeus comes from France, um, and he was a, a great figure. Um, people like St. Clement of Alexandria, who helped with a man called Origen later to found a catechetical school on the scriptures in Alexandria. We can talk about moving on. St. Martin of Tours, I'm sure we often know the story of St. Martin of Tours in France. He was a very popular figure. Um, and of course, we moved to great figures like St. Ambrose of Milan, who was really responsible for the conversion and baptism of St. Saint Augustine. St. Jerome, who translated the, uh, the scriptures, uh, the Vulgate Latin version of the scriptures. He lived in Jerusalem, a little cave in Bethlehem. Um, and, and devote himself to the scriptures. And of course, the great and towering figure of Augustine of Hippo, again from North Africa. A man that people don't know much about, uh, is a man called John Cassian, but he wrote some of the very early and important works on monasticism for Europe. And, and people like St. Benedict drew a lot on, on his writings. And then you've got a great figure like uh, St. Athanasius from Alexandria. He was actually exiled five times from his... <laughs> From his uh, from his diocese and wow. and Saint uh, Athanasius, um, one of the times he went down to the desert and he spent time getting to know a man called Anthony of Egypt, who was really seen as the father of monasticism and wrote his life, Vita Antonii, and that book became a bestseller mm. in the early church, inspiring people to the monastic life. Then you've got uh, three great figures from uh, what's modern day Turkey, Cappadocia and that is St. Basil of Caesarea, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, and St. Gregory of Nyssa. They were um, brothers and, and close friends, and uh, they had enormous influence uh, on the church. Very erudite men who made a great contribution to the church. And then you've got, of course, St. John Chrysostom, who was the, the golden mouth, the great preacher, mm. uh, who was... Um, who was the, the Bishop of Constantinople. He got himself in a lot of trouble, got exiled, because he preached the truth of Christianity and it wasn't accepted by the Emperor's daughter in particular. It gave him a hard time. So we have all these characters uh, from the early church, great men who um, really are our fathers, and their teaching and their writings are a, a, a basic foundation to so much of our Catholic faith. So we honour these men, as we call them, the, the fathers of the church. Brilliant. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteus. For more episodes, visit radio.org.au.